Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Being a woman in the fitness industry can be difficult sometimes. I remember when I first started working as a personal trainer and even now I have moments where I feel really intimidated by other male coaches. But someone who has always been a huge inspiration to me and is my guest today is Jocelyn Thompson, who is a Nike global master trainer. She runs a mentorship for coaches called Be The Change. She hosts the podcast Fitness Unfiltered and outside of COVID runs her Women in Fitness Summits, all with the focus to help people live and be better. Most importantly, she's been someone who I've looked up to massively as an inspiring woman in the fitness industry and her guidance, clear and consistent approach and desire to share knowledge rather than gatekeep it is what I think sets her apart as a credible voice. Today, we're going to cover everything from being a beginner in fitness to busting myths around the best way to train. So without further ado, welcome Joss. How are you doing? Alice, that was the best introduction I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) how are you? I mean, I haven't seen you in years. I don't know how long it's been. I mean, COVID. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Really, really well. How are you? I am really good, thank you. I'm actually enjoying, it's a beautiful day today, so I'm very much enjoying the sunshine and the fact that it feels Absolutely. like spring is in the air. Now, yeah. You're someone who has carved a really successful career in the fitness industry and someone who, like I said in my intro, you know, I have really looked up to you for a long time and I think it's so nice to really have someone that I can aspire to be like, <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds. But I'd really love to hear, first of all, how you got into training and how you really entered into the fitness industry I guess. Was it something that you always wanted to do? Was it something that you kind of stumbled upon? Yeah. So I I think I got, I guess, serious about training and into the thing that got me into it probably in my um, late teens. So I did Irish dancing for 15 years from the age of four to 19. So oh I always did something. <laughs> I know. 
I know. We need to talk about this, <laughs> but carry on. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm half Irish, half Jamaican. I lived in Ireland. I was born in Ireland, hence me still pronouncing my R's and sounding like I'm from the West Country. And when I started uni, I finished dancing and took up rowing. We were training, you know, six days a week. We'd be up at like 6, 7 a.m. at the weekends to get out on the water And that was my first kind of foray into strength training as well, which I absolutely fell in love with and also just really loved rowing training itself. But it was in my third year that I became vice captain of the ladies boat club. And that meant I got to assist the novice coach. And so that was my first kind of dip into, oh, wow, taking somebody from beginner to, you know, I think they they rowed at university champs at the end of the year that kind of stuck with me, that kind of coaching point and enjoying that and seeing that process in people. I love that. And it's so interesting that it came about from like a sports side of things, because mine was the complete opposite of that. But I kind of wish I'd got into it from that side of things. I think it really gives you like a different approach to fitness and one that doesn't really focus on the aesthetic as much. And I think that's why it's really nice to see that as you're in and it being something completely the opposite to why most people sort of get into the fitness industry. Yeah. And actually, I think for me, and and this is something that I've kind of spoken quite a lot about recently, was when I went to uni, it was, you know, like a a very nice uni, a very good uni. I felt a bit out of place there, to be honest. And training and rowing gave me this strength that nobody could really take away from me. Because, you know, a couple of years prior, my parents had split. We were, you know, living in temporary accommodation, etc., didn't have a huge amount of money everything was a real struggle so I go to this posh uni everyone's got money everyone's been privately educated I'm like Mm. oh I'm a bit different and I felt that difference but rowing was the first thing that people like oh wow you row don't you that's amazing you guys done really well and so all of a sudden I had this thing that it didn't matter if I didn't have money it didn't matter if I wasn't privately educated I had this thing that nobody could take away. And so I think that really gave me a confidence that I I couldn't get from anywhere else at the time. And I think I then saw that process in those who I coached too. So it was kind of like a double whammy for me. I suppose it changed the trajectory of my life in a way. Yeah. I love that you talk about it giving you an identity because, yeah, in my experience, I was exactly the same. I'd been through a traumatic experience and actually specifically weightlifting or or resistance training as we now call it but lifting weights in the gym for me was the way that I rebuilt my identity suddenly having the strength to go into that space and be like I deserve to be here and I'm really strong (laughs) really helped me to get my confidence back and I I completely relate to what you were saying about it it really giving you an identity and being a big part of who you then become because you do feel quite invincible and I I love that about strength training and actually my next question for you was what is it about moving and fitness that you really love I mean you've been someone who's been in the industry for a long time now and it's there's obviously something that keeps you hungry and motivated to to keep growing as a coach and I wondered if you could maybe talk about what it is that you really love about it I think particularly last year where we've been allowed to move around less in general people who maybe didn't have an appreciation of movement or training or exercise let's just call it movement we won't even necessarily say it's exercise all of a sudden themselves felt that need to move, to be doing more. And we all of a sudden we saw more people kind of getting outside and just going, right, there's not a gym. I've never really been interested in the gym, but I'm going to move anyway because I feel the need to do it. And I think that movement is just, it's what, it's what we do. It's what we're here for. It's how we get about day to day. But of course, life gets in the way. Life gets in the way from when we're about two years old and we and we start sitting down on chairs and all of a sudden things start to become a little bit more imbalanced. But to get back to that, you know, understanding your own body and your own movement and what that feels like is a huge development of your relationship with yourself, really, because mm-hmm. I think now we are so disassociated from what our bodies are telling us and they're always telling us so much but we either look for external validation or for somebody else to tell us what's going on to understand your own movement whether it's through mobility whether it's through strength training whether it's going out for a long run whatever it is that's rebuilding that relationship with you and your body and it's an amazing one and one unfortunately that so many people 
either turn away from or are not happy with. It's such a shame because it's just like, wow, you live inside this incredible body. And Mm. if you got to know it well for yourself, it would be the best journey you've ever gone on. It's, It's just amazing. Yeah. Along those lines, I guess it would be great to talk about what are some of the barriers to entry, you know, ranging from social ones to economic ones and whatever. What do you identify as those barriers and and how we can really help people to overcome them, I guess? Yeah, I think I think a big one can be just having a bad experience of, you know, PE at school. I don't even think I particularly liked PE at school, to be honest. We did a few different sports and they just weren't that exciting to me. And so a lot of people, before they even get to their teens, think that they're not sporty, whatever that means, because, you know, the few boxes that they didn't fit into in school in terms of physical movement wasn't suited to them. And so they just then have this thought that actually they're not built for exercise and so they don't do it. And I think also people will say, oh, I need to get fit before I get a personal trainer. And it's kind of like, is that not the point of the (laughs) the, the personal trainer (laughs) that they can help you to get there, you know, maybe in a more efficient way? But there's this perception of what fit is or what fit looks like. And it's just so different for every body. So very different. There is absolutely not a one size fits all. And so I think people will either go, fitness isn't for me, I was never sporty at school, or or I see all of those fitness people either out running or lifting weights in the gym, and I'm not them, so therefore it's not for me, so I'm not going to do it. And I think that the Women of Fitness Summit and stuff like that, and also with a friend of mine, Lisa Price, we run women's lifting workshops because so many women know the importance of strength training now, but it's still like, I don't want to, you know, lift in the wrong way or look silly in the gym or whatever it's it's people are then embarrassed to to sort of look like they don't know what they're doing so it's also important to be guided by someone who you trust and it's going to encourage you even if you do the whole damn thing wrong it doesn't matter you're still moving forward you're still learning about yourself and you're still learning about your movement so I think we've got these preconceptions about what that is and everybody can do something straight away unless there's some reason why they can't but outside of that everybody can start exactly where they are now doing something yeah and I think there's something exciting about being a beginner you know there there are still things that I am learning and yet to learn about my body about the way that I train and part of that keeps me actually really motivated to keep going is like there's always new stuff we can learn there's always new stuff we can do and actually, rather than seeing it as like a thing to hold you back, it's always about kind of changing that mindset. And I know that it's something that I've spoken about with my clients who are, you know, high functioning perfectionists is yeah. rather than looking at wanting to be perfect at everything in the first time you do it, it's a journey to learn and a privilege to learn to get better at something yeah. so that you really enjoy that process. And I think mm. you're absolutely right when you talk about you know, as we get older, we think we're just supposed to be good at stuff and to fail mm. or to not be good at stuff is is a negative thing. And actually, I think the more we talk about failure in a positive way, the better, because it's only when we do fail that we're able to get back up and say, well, I tried this, didn't quite work, but actually, what if I do this? Or what if I reach out to a trainer and get a bit of help so that I can go yeah. on that learning journey? Yeah. And it is, it's just a bit of a course correction as well. Like, you know, I, I think you should always I talk about something called A Leap, which comes from a book by a lady, Tara Moore. She wrote the book Playing Big, and she talks about taking leaps. And they're things that, you know, are, you're a little bit scared to do, but you're, you're going to do it anyway. And she's got six points around how to take a leap. So, you know, one of them is it should be within one to two weeks. So it's just like a step towards your goal, whatever it is that you're able to actually do it within one to two weeks. But her final piece, number six, is leap with an intent to learn. So whatever that leap is, even if it falls flat on its face, you will have learned something from it. You'll either learn, right, that way wasn't the way to do it. What are my other options? Okay, great. So you're always just course correcting, you know, within that. I say much like yourself, you know, failure is a is a very important thing, particularly if you take the lessons from it and particularly if you learn from it. But failing still sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> when, something goes, when something doesn't happen, you're just like, this feels so shit right now. No, it still feels rubbish. Hmm. But once you pick yourself up from it and you go, right, what did go well? What would I change? What am I going to do better the next time round? Then you are still moving 
forward. The two risks are you risk failing and moving forward as a result once you review Mm. everything or you risk nothing changing at all and I know which risk I would prefer to take and it's always the one of like oh god another hit but fine I'll take it right yeah what have I learned here let me move it forward okay great I'll do that Completely. One of my favorite phrases that Paddy says to me often is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a change. And I think I can relate to that in many periods of my life where you sort of are doing the same thing over and over and thinking, why is nothing changing? Because you're too scared to take that Mm. big, as you call it, leap to really like motivate yourself to do something new. And I think, yeah, it's, I try and remind myself that often. And actually on the subject of mistakes, definitely along my fitness journey, I've made so many mistakes. There's been things where I've tried and I've failed at stuff. And actually like, yeah, as you said, it sucks at the time. It's rubbish and you can get really demotivated for periods of time. But I am now able to look back and reflect and think, okay, I really did learn something there, even if it's much later on and with the benefit of hindsight. But I wondered if there's anything on your journey that you'd do differently now or anything that you're able to now reflect back on and think, you know what? I probably was quite right there I think probably just looking back one would have been it was a role that I wanted to take I actually didn't have the self-belief that I could do it and so in the end I didn't get that role and I know that for the most part it was because deep down I didn't believe that I could do it there was a nervousness about me so I do a lot around mindset now, and I think it's just a really important component, both for coaches and individuals on their own training journey. A friend of mine, Emma Hackett, who's a mental performance coach, she talks about this idea of toxic positivity, that, Mm. you know, that you can do it and, you know, positive affirmations and all that kind of stuff. And it means nothing if deep down you still think you can't do it. Mm. And actually just kind of having a bit of a dialogue with that and going, well, what does that look like? Why am I thinking that? Or even just going, oh, that's interesting. As soon as I set that positive goal, this thing popped up in my mind. I wonder Mm. why that happened, you know, and just kind of being aware of both the negative as well as the positive, because you can say whatever you want, But if you don't believe it deep down and you're trying to suppress it with more positive chat, then what's at the core will win through. And that that was a big learning for me with the role that I didn't get. I was like, I just, I know I didn't believe that I could do that. And it was almost like a bit of a relief not to get it. But when I looked back, I was just like, no, there was a part of you that you thought you weren't ready Yeah, I can completely understand that that would be a frustrating thing, but also something that's really difficult to overcome in your head. Because if you know you're not quite good enough, but you're really trying to project that you're good enough, dealing with that internal battle must be really hard. And actually, like just relating it to something that I really felt was, you know, if I think about five years ago, I would in a different way, but I would take these pictures of myself and I'd put them up and I'd seek desperately that external validation that I look great you know I'd get people telling me I looked amazing and all this kind of stuff and actually like Mm -hmm. it's only recently where deep down I've kind of thought well the only reason why I was doing that because I really didn't believe myself that I was good enough that I looked that I looked good that I was good enough for you know whatever it is that I was doing and actually Mm -hmm. my therapist recently said this thing to me where she was like you know how do you expect other people to like you if you don't even like yourself And she really asked me, she was like, do you like yourself? And I was like, oh, I don't actually think I do right now. And it was a really eye-opening thing for me where you sort of have that moment of being like, until you truly believe inside that you are good enough, you can do these things, you are fine just the way you are, all of this sort of stuff, you know, Mm. you can't expect other people to then believe it. And it really is about just bringing it back to you. You are the most important relationship you're ever going to have in your life. So make Mm. it a good one. Yeah. And it, and and they never go away either. It's not like you deal with the demons and then that's then packed away and you're good to go for the rest of yeah. your life or you think that you you've dealt with something and then a year later or two years later you're like is that 
bloody still on my mind. Damn you, I thought I got rid of you, you know. But it's almost like, you know, new level, new devil. You sort of get over the fears of wherever you're at and then you, Mm. you know, move on up and then you're like, oh, shit, how did I get here? Okay, back to I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. So it's it's constant work. And And I do, as much as I can, I work on that every day. If something just comes up, I do something called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, or it's known as tapping. So if a negative thought comes up, I'll just note it down on my phone. And then I look through my list (laughs) at the end of the day and I'll just kind of tap through them and just kind of like better out than in. Because I think think it's a constant conversation. And if I'm feeling particularly low or just like, oh, just a bit flat, which I actually was for the last week or so, I Mm. also am happy just to sort of sit with it as well and not necessarily force the blueness to go away sometimes I'm like okay well this is where I'm at I'll try and do the things that help like movement and going for walks and all that kind of stuff but also I'm not trying to push it away I also appreciate that that's just a process yeah almost going back to that toxic positivity that you were talking about this kind of idea that's pushed upon us that we we can get ourselves out of each dark situation by you know positive affirmations and you know doing some exercise is going to be the the thing that's going to cure all of your ills and it's like sometimes it just doesn't and and I think it's really great to hear about you speaking about just sitting in that and being able to just feel that emotion rather than trying to instantly suppress it or feel some sort of shame for having it. Mm, absolutely yeah and just you know again like we're in the middle of a global pandemic well I feel like we're hopefully on the <laughs> on the tail end of it I know it's like, my <laughs> toxically positive um, but you know so that in itself is just so much stress for everybody no matter mm-hmm. what even if you like you know spring out of bed every day everyone is feeling it. And so I guess just being a little, you know, gentler with yourself and others, because mm. we, we've not we've not been in this situation before. So it's very different for everyone. Yeah, completely. And you've spoken a lot about the podcast and you've, you've mentioned some incredible people along the way in this interview so far. I know you interact with so many amazing people, you know, not only in the fitness industry, but across many different industries. Is there any advice that you've been given or that you've come across that's really resonated with you and has helped you in some way? I think the one that, well, there's a couple, but the one that, that sort of, it's quite harsh but it's it's just this idea of look, no one's coming to save you. So just fucking get going and do the thing, you know, because mm. nobody is, you know. And for the longest time, you know, I've always kind of hoped that I would have a mentor or someone who was gonna kind of scoop me up and help me. And then it was just kind of like and I and I have, you know, across my career, I definitely have had people who I would confide in and who I would consider to be mentors. But also you can sort of sit around and wait for that. Or you can just go, well, if they don't come, then you're screwed. So how about you, you just get on with it? So I think it is like no one's coming to save you. So literally, what are you waiting for? Because you might be there for another 5, 10, 15 years yeah. waiting for whatever it is you think is going to be the thing. And then that time will pass you by and, you know, so it's kind of like, just do the thing. Now I'm going to shift the focus slightly. So you are best known for training and mentoring women in the fitness industry, myself being one of those. But what would you say is your advice to um, aspiring trainers, those who are coming into the industry? And where did you learn the most in your career? We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, I think it's very noisy. The fitness industry is very, very noisy and can be a really intimidating space. I would say, you know, I learned the most from working with my clients. That's where I learned the most information. That was the that was how I was able to apply my knowledge and and really learn in real time with with actual 
people. Um, I think what can happen is there's this idea that I need my qualification. Okay, well, my qualification was so basic. That's not going to be enough. Let me get another one and let me get another one on top of that. And oh, I feel like I'm still not ready. No, let me get another one. And so you have these qualifications layering uh, one on top of the other, but the the one at the bottom, your very first one, actually has no substance in it because you ha- you didn't apply that to actual people, mm. and so you sort of build this very fragile framework, which is getting higher and higher and higher, but there's no foundational support. So. I think that, you know, you if you have your qualifications, you have information to be able to work with, you know, a lot of people safely as long as you practice safely. You will see a lot of coaches out there who are incredibly knowledgeable. They also started exactly where you are. And mm-hmm. it may well be, as was the case for me, when I started 18 years ago, there wasn't any social media, there wasn't any anything like that. I'm still so thankful that Facebook was not around when I'm at university because my history has been wiped and <laughs> I can, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord for that every day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I got to just go in. I was working in Fitness First at the time and in a PT studio. I got to go in and just get on and mm-hmm. do my job. What happens, I think, is that there's this focus on what everybody else knows. That's not your concern, and it's not going to help you or your clients. What's going to help you with your knowledge is applying that knowledge to the clients that you have. Or if you don't have any clients at the moment, use the resources that you have, your friends, your family. They're always going to be way harder to train, by the way, than a stranger who is paying you money because your mum or your brother or whoever you know, who knows you and is coming and what's this do? You're just like, oh, sweet mother of God, please make it stop. I need a paying client. You know what I mean? They're always going to be harder harder to train, but you will all, you you know, nevertheless, you'll always have somebody to train. Once you have exhausted all of your knowledge, you'll know where you need to go next. Mm. Because what happens is people will do their courses and they're like, right, I need another 10 courses on top so I know enough. Oh, okay, I still haven't built that foundation. And I get asked a lot, what course should I do? What's the next thing I should do? You should know that from applying the knowledge that you already have and seeing where the holes are and and which route you want to go down. You get to know what course you want to do next from the work that you're doing with the people that you have now. And it's it's a natural flow. Any of the trainers who, you know, I've I've worked with um, for a long time, they did the same thing. Got on, did their work, saw a few gaps in their knowledge, sort out a a, a course or a program, you'll find it if you know where that gap is. And then you go, don't ask more experienced coaches what you should do next, because they don't know what your path is. You can only know that from the work that you could do. Sorry, that was the longest sermon ever. I just feel very strongly about it. (laughs) And actually, it's made me want to go off in so many different directions. The first one is, I think the the piece of advice you gave about getting your hands on bodies in the gym sense, (laughs) is one of the most important pieces of advice I was given. And that's why I continue to train, you know, outside of COVID times, why I continue to train people. I have never learned as valuable experience as I have working on a gym floor and not even just having my hands on bodies. But as you know, I'm at third space where the environment of trainers makes me want to be better every single day Mm. because every trainer in there does something slightly different, has a slightly different approach, but I'm inspired by an element of each and every one of them. And mm. so I find myself in an environment where not only am I in an environment where I can apply that knowledge to a body in front of me and get real time knowledge yeah. and experience, I'm also then in an environment where I can take a little bit from each and every person around me to also apply to that person. And it's yeah. like, it's head and shoulders above any course I've ever, ever done. Mm. And I think this is the thing that's the real missing link in the fitness industry. And something that I, I could talk to you for hours about is fitness at the moment seems like an easy in, you know, there's fitness trainers who have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. It looks easy. It looks like you can create a page, you do a your week course or whatever it is to get your qualification. And then the next thing you're able to instantly have an audience of people online who are willing and ready to trust you to give them fitness advice. And I just wondered what your, what your kind of thoughts were on that and how you really feel about the online community in, in the fitness space. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because look, you know, I, I think it's really important that as many people can move as possible. There are 
millions of people, billions of people who would never want to go near me and train with me. They will be inspired by somebody else. It's not my business really even to sort of comment on somebody who's coming. If somebody comes, you know, fresh into the industry and they and they have a large following and they're doing something and they're getting someone moving who wasn't moving before, great. If we then start to look at not moving safely or, you know, affecting somebody's mental health, and that's a whole different story. It's such a tricky one because it's such a huge industry. And it's a very easy industry, as you say, you know, you could have come in however many years ago, you know, and gone, right, well, this is my ticket to going all in. Let me do it straight away because I know people are going to sign up to my stuff. But you didn't. And that you're saying this, you know, on your platform, on your podcast, the only hope is that potential trainers or new trainers will hear that and go, hmm, that's a good point. I could do that. But maybe if I just, you know, bide my time a little, if I increase the quality or improve the quality of my work, then the the end product in however long into the future will be even better. And so you can control that in as much as the people who are listening and the people who are going to take that on board. But that's all that we that we can control. And There are a million different routes I could have gone down over 18 years where either a following would have increased or I could have written this or done this or or whatever. But I've Mm. I've pretty much stuck to what's been really important to me. Mm. And so that brings me personally a huge amount of joy that, you know, I've sort of been banging on about the same shit for the last (laughs) 18 years. And that for some people, particularly in the in the industry today, it's it's a really refreshing take on what can otherwise feel like a really noisy space. Yeah. And so all I can do and you know all we can do is focus on those who are listening to us, hope that the goodness that we want for the industry and for individuals is the same and and that's what we've got the control over. I've definitely had times where I've been like, "Uh, God, I cannot bear it. All of the, but that's not do. That's not doing my health any good. Yeah, that's not affecting any of them. So it's it's control what what you have got in front of you, and and that's all. That's all we can do. Completely. And yeah, I absolutely want to caveat anything that I say with the fact that you're so right. Anyone that inspires even one, ten, hundreds, thousands, mm. whatever it is, people to move. Who am I to judge or to think negatively of? I don't. And you're absolutely right in the sense that like, I can't control what other people are going to put out there. So why am I wasting energy and time and my resources that could be poured into doing something for my own good on those people? I think the only time I, I do get frustrated is I do feel that there's a safely approach and an unsafe approach. Mm. And I think there are, there are sometimes you know, very blurred boundaries between those things. And and it can become quite murky in terms of what people are putting out there and really knowing the the limits of what us as trainers are actually able to even do. Yeah. I think that's that's a difficult space. But, you know, I, I completely agree with you that on the whole, we can only see it as a positive thing that our industry is booming, that, you know, people are interested in fitness, that they want to move. And you're so right. There are always going to be people who want to listen to you. Like people will seek out someone that they can relate to and someone that they find is speaking directly to them. And I think I've really tried in my journey to be like, you know, my audience is there and these are the people that I'm speaking to. I don't need to put down other people to get myself further up the ladder. I just need to focus on the narrative that I put out to my audience and the people that are listening to what I'm saying. And yes, I will have times where I might slip up on that and I might get frustrated and I might have a little bit of a rant. (laughs) You've got Judgy McJudgerson here. Don't you worry. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also because you care and you understand that if there, yeah. if there is a way that doesn't seem like it's a responsible way to train, you, you want the best for people because that's, that's the person, you know, that you are. And, and of course, like, again, honestly, I have been like, and another thing, but actually, 
my ripe old age of 42, I'm now like, okay, Jocelyn, you got to conserve your energy, girl. So how about we just focus it on all the things we can control and we'll just leave the other stuff. And of course, there'll be loads of stuff that will come up in the future. I'll, I'll be like eye rolling to the back of my <laughs> yeah. head, but you know. This is the thing I love about the way that you and I, I hope, approach fitness. Well, you you definitely, me trying to approach fitness is trends will come and go. There will be things that come in that people love and then suddenly they go. And the same for people. There'll be people and names who will come and go. And my goal is to have longevity. I'm going to keep saying, as you said earlier, you said this, I'm going to keep banging the same message again and again because... I know it works. I know it's responsible because I really bloody care. And I'm not going to, you know, chameleon to whatever comes in next to try and stay current or to try and have the biggest following. I have more integrity than that. I care about the stuff that I talk about. I care about my audience. I care about my job and my role within the industry. And that's meant that I'm going to keep saying the same message over and over. And if that means I'll have a career even half as successful as yours or uh, with as much longevity, then I've done my job right, you know? And I think that's what I really try and focus on. Oh, bless you. No, you're, you're, you know, watching your career over the years has been amazing you've just you've just done so 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 well and the work that you're doing is so important so you got it girl thanks mate (laughs) but anyway (laughs) moving on you actually you've spoken about it a lot in this but you have a heavy focus on mentoring in your career now it's something that I have felt so much benefit from and actually going back to talking about you know clients was the first and foremost way that I got my experience. But the second way was really having a mentor. I found that my PT course was so basic that I came out of it being like, what the hell do I do now? (laughs) And actually having a mentor was really what shaped my, my way that I practice now. And I found it hugely beneficial. Why do you think that mentorship can really help? And how do you operate yours? I think that a mentor is just a guide to help you stay on track with where you're going to sort of pick you up when there are slip ups because there will be some and just to set you back on track. I would say in the beginning, you know, your clients in a way are really your mentors because they're the ones that are guiding your knowledge. But once you then feel like, right, I'm, I'm at a certain stage, where do I go now? Which direction is next? You know, I started my mentorship because I wanted to put something together that involved what I felt to be the important knowledge that maybe coaches didn't think was the important stuff. I remember thinking, what would I do if I was entering the fitness industry now? I I would just find it so overwhelming. And so that's why there's such a focus on, right, this is who you are. These are your strengths. Let's work that into your coaching. And again, like, you know, we've got this whole world of social media where there's this idea that to be a coach, you have to be doing all of this stuff on social media. No, you don't have to do any of that. You have to work with your strengths and what feels comfortable for you. And I know plenty of coaches who do very well, who aren't on social media, who don't do anything like that. Mm. And they're still doing a great job. And actually, they're the ones who can get on and do their work. They're the ones who can get on and hone their craft because they don't have that noise in the background of what everyone else is doing. I think it's also a little bit about asking yourself, you know, am I getting into the fitness industry to build a following or am I getting into it to help people and to train people? And I really think it's an important question that you have to ask yourself. So many people now, as you said, feel that they have to have a social following to be a good coach. And it's just, you know, it's it's about what are your priorities? Where do they lie? Is it training people? Because if so ditch the social media, don't you won't have time for it. Just get your hands on as many bodies as possible in the gym and work on it. If it's the following, then it's a different approach. One of the best bits of advice that my coach and my mentor gave me was like, you'll never feel like you know enough. And that's a really good place mm. to be because yeah. I'm never going to know everything and I'm never going to feel at a point where I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel like I know enough now. I can also be better and learn more. And I think that's a nice, nice little um, way to think about it. I want to move on to motivations to train, I guess. I think that like as much as we'll probably have a lot of coaches listening to this, I think we'll also have people who are just gen pop exercisers who who want to know about your ways that you motivate your clients to train and just how you have motivated yourself. I feel like we're definitely experiencing 
a shift in terms of people's motivation to move. I think weight loss is still the number one goal, which I typically see, and I'm sure you do too, but it's definitely shifting. And I do see many more people saying, well, I want to be strong and I want to feel fitter or I'm doing it for my mental health, which I think is great. With that in mind, how do you personally motivate yourself to train? What are your motivations to get out of bed and do a session? And then also, what are some of the things that you give to your clients to help them stay on track and stay engaged in what they're doing? Well, so for me personally, moving is just always better than not moving. If I'm not training, I'm just not feeling as good. Like I'm just not. And there's different times in my life where I've trained kind of more or competed or trained less or whatever. But I know that I am living better when I'm training. Movement is the part of my life and it always has been. And when I'm doing it less, I'm just not feeling myself. And if I go back to, it was a thing that sort of, in a way, very much gave me my identity back when I was at Trinity in Dublin. That still stands now. It's so much a part of who I am. And when I'm not doing it, I feel it and, I, and now I feel a bit achy when I, if I don't do it. But I also give myself grace if life is hectic or stuff gets in the way. If I miss a session or two sessions or even a week, I'm just like, well, something had to give. And this week it was training. That's cool. Okay, back on track. So I, I don't have you know, guilt around missing a session or anything like that. It, it is what it is. You do what you can with the time that you have and, mm. and, and that's all that you, you can do. And then in terms of with my clients, the last year has been a really interesting time. Life has just changed. Either people are working from home or they're more stressed or they're fed up of this whole thing. And I've really taken into account how that is affecting everything, including their training. So I make sure that I go either gentler on my clients or there are additional bits that are added in around their lifestyles to make everything run a little smoother, whether it's a little bit of a focus on their sleep or even just simple things like hydration. But I think that in terms of their motivation, my goal is always for them to understand their bodies better and how it affects their lives through training. So as you said, the majority of people still, you know, ultimately want weight loss. Yeah, sure, they might get to their weight loss goal or whatever that is. But if they can appreciate other bits around that, other discoveries about themselves, bringing it back to the, the beauty of movement and getting to know your body, then that's my, mm. my job done, really. So it's always so pleasing when that happens. Joss, going on from that, one of my favorite quotes that I'm pretty sure came from you, but, but don't hold me to it if it didn't. I think I first saw it on your Instagram was the quote that we all need to be recovering as hard as we're training. And so I loved when you spoke about, you know, movement is, is what makes you feel better. If you're moving, it's better than not moving, all of that kind of stuff. And I do think there should be a massive focus on that. Completely agree. But I also mm. think that what I love about you as a coach is you're just as passionate about the recovery side of things as you are people training. And I wonder if you could maybe explain why our recovery is so crucial and kind of how you get your clients, I guess, to lose the guilt on taking rest days. It's something that I hear so often from people like they hate stopping, they hate doing nothing, they hate resting. How can you kind of encourage them to see it as a positive thing? Do you know when you said it, I'm not sure if this came from you, Joss, and I was like, oh God, who have I stolen this quote from? But actually, no, that was me. <laughs> so I say, recover harder than you train. That's the magic pill. I think I got into recovery about 10 years ago or so. And um, at the time I was still, you know, doing CrossFit competitions and stuff. But dare I say, I was a good deal older than a lot of the other girls I was competing against. And I was like, shit, if I'm going to get anywhere in this, I'm going to have to like double down on my recovery like that's where I'm gonna get the gains and so I kind of went deep into that and just really you know enjoyed studying it and looking into it for myself really it was an exploration thing for me but it's you know we're in this world where in fitness the idea that more is more is still like going strong mm. <laughs> and the idea that working at an intense level is how you get there. And maybe if I work at an intense level, you know, if we talk about, you know, kind of short, sharp interval sessions, if I do that, and if I do that loads, then surely I'm going to get there quicker, except your body can't keep up. It has to recover from that to be able to benefit. You know, you can either say that it's overtrained or you're under recovered because your body cannot 
do the thing you want it to do unless you are at rest, unless you're getting more sleep. And if you can't get more sleep, you need to at least start with improving the quality of your sleep. So that means phones down um, at least 30 to 60 minutes before bed and just try and down-regulate your system, read, meditate, do whatever it is that's away from that stimulus Mm. that keeps everything switched on and wired and going. And lots of people ask me that through strength sessions. Should I do something else like at the end? Should I go for a run later? Because they don't feel like they've done enough because there's still this association with the effectiveness of a workout being measured by how much you sweat. And it's, it's just not the case. You know, if you ask any elite athlete, yes, we see them competing on the, on the world stage and doing their 100-meter sprint or in the boxing ring or whatever. But their bread and butter is getting to sleep, eating enough food for recovery, all of that good stuff. That's the stuff that we don't see and actually it happens a lot more than even the training itself. It's one of those things where everything you just said, I wish I could just bottle it up and give it to people as like the best piece of advice when it comes to training. You know, the amount of times I get messaged by people being like, what's the best exercise for fat loss? What should I be doing to get abs? Like all of this stuff. I wish I could answer like recover harder, take rest, sleep, hydrate, eat well, stay chilled, Mm. and you will make gains. You're absolutely right. It doesn't fit the narrative of I am a fitness freak, you know, I love the gym. And I think for that reason, we've really got to hammer home, I guess, the detrimental effects of under recovering and what that does to the body, you know, things like disruption of the menstrual cycle and hormones, things like uh, your immune system can be suppressed, things like, you know, really erratic sleep and low quality of sleep. All of these things have a massive knock-on effect from not letting your body recover. And unfortunately, it's just not spoken about as much as it should be. And mm. I think if you're a coach, you really have a responsibility to look at training volume. And in the first instance, when someone comes to me, that's the first thing I say to them. How much are you doing? How do you feel at the start mm. of each session? How do you feel when you get out of bed in the morning? And you really have to mm. look at those markers and be like, whoa. <laughs> a lot of the time I go, yeah. okay, I need to pull it back a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you need to eat more and train less. And they're like, what? I know. I thought that, you know, 1200 calories was good on two a day sessions, six days a week. No? (laughs) Yeah, completely. And the other thing I feel is, I think this is stuff that I've learned with age. And I feel like my body is probably at a point where I just can't do what I used to do when I was 22. I used to be able to train twice a day and not eat very much at all and be able to just kind of pull through. My body just can't do that now. There's so many women my age who train really, really hard, stay pretty lean for the majority of their 20s, and then sort of get to the point where they start to think about having babies, for example, and they're like, oh, I haven't actually had a period in a while. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You know, I was very lucky. So when I was at uni, we were brought to the science block and sat down, all of my um, rowing team, and we were given a lecture by a doctor who was saying, look, because you're training very intensely, watch out for losing your period. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, I didn't realize that you could train so hard that you, you know, you might lose your period or whatever. And so that seed was planted in my head fairly early on, and I didn't lose my period during training. But sometimes you see these body transformations, and they look really impressive if that's what you want, if that's what you're looking for. But you do then go, right, what's been compromised? Are you menstruating? Are you tired? Like you're looking in the mirror and you're happy with what you see, but what's really going on? So many people associate how they look with happiness. Mm. I suppose. And it's often not the case because there's something deeper going on that has to be dealt with or whatever. Whatever you want to do, just do it safely. So I know a good few people who compete in bikini fitness competitions. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a friend of mine. She coaches a lot of women for it. And the first thing that she says, if anybody approaches her that they want to compete is she says, just so you know, this kind of training, macro tracking and all of this can lead to eating disorders. So I want you to know this before we go ahead and do this. And I think it's a really important conversation to have because what you end up with then is people sort of pinching their skin because they want everything to look great on stage. And the dedication that goes into it is 
phenomenal, but it has to be done um, responsibly. And I know a lot of people who do compete and they are menstruating and they're aware of the whole psychological piece around it. Everyone's entitled to whatever the goal it is that they want. Mm. Make sure that it's not going to compromise your health because if you haven't got a team of doctors and scientists and whoever around you like elite athletes who can mind you as much as possible then you're the only one who's in charge of that yourself so you've got to be really responsible around it yeah such a good answer and so good to hear you saying all of this stuff because I just think it's so important I'd love to talk about just looking forwards any changes that you'd like to see in the fitness industry where do you see it going what are some of the things that you'd really like to see moving forwards over the next few years that's a really interesting one because obviously we've we've had such a big change anyway within the last year of where fitness is going. Mm. It's becoming so digital, etc. Gosh, what do I want to see? Um, I want to see more women killing it, obviously. <laughs> so that's that's always been a, a goal of mine. What are we waiting for? Mm. There's always that thing of you can't be it if you can't see it. But if you don't see what it is you want to see, then you have to become it. Mm. I just want more of like, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go ahead and do the damn thing. And that's that's just what I want to see more of, really. So, yeah, a bit more love and joy. I love that. <laughs> I love that answer. Now, just I always wrap up with two questions that I ask every guest. So my first one is, what does strength look like to you? Oh, strength looks like, right, this sounds really weird, but it's just come to me. A dialogue between who you are and who you are becoming. I don't know why I said that, but there you are. That's my answer. That's great. I like that. (laughs) That's very unique as well. We haven't had that before. And then my final question is who in your life demonstrates strength the most? Oh, God, that's really difficult. I mean, oh, this is really weird. But I lived in Japan for a year when I finished uni. And I had a host mother there, Terumi, and she does. She does. I love that. <laughs> well, Joss, this has been amazing. Everything has been so valuable. And I think this is, yeah, this has been a really interesting episode for me, definitely. I've wanted to sit down with you for so long. So I'm so grateful we got to do it. Oh, thank you so much you. for your time. Have a great rest of your week. And yeah, thank you again. Oh, thank you for having me. you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening 